Turn in your Bibles to James chapter 3. In chapter 1, James wrote how trials can be good for us and how we need to be doers of the word. In chapter 2, he told us not to play favorites with people and that faith without works is dead still. And in chapter 3 now, he's going to address the tongue. And the tongue can get us into trouble. So he's going to address how that's possible today. In the day and age we live in now, our tongue is extended beyond the voice that people hear us speak. Our tongue is displayed for all to see on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and any other social media that you use. Uh, just because it isn't your voice doesn't mean it's not your tongue that's being used to express what you believe. Unfortunately, we sometimes express things that we don't need to express, and it causes people to be confused about what we believe or how we um, believe what we are sharing out there. There's a lot of stuff to share out there. I mean, James couldn't have possibly known that the internet was going to be available for us to put our tongue out on. And, but there it is. And so as we consider whatever we like, we don't even have to write a comment. But if you like someone or something, and people can see that, that can reflect positively or negatively on what you believe and on what they see. There are times where I see some of these discussions that go on, like on the Fountain Hills Connection, and there's, everybody's all, you know, flailing about, and you can read all the garbage. And, and I go through, and I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, they're, they're arguing about all these things. And as I'm going through, all of a sudden I hear, click, and I liked something, or I, I somehow accidentally... You know what I'm talking about? And so on your phone, it's really hard to find that. And I, I can't go to activity on my phone. I didn't know where. And so I look, and I'm like freaked out. Did I just like something that was really bad? And so I rush to my computer, and I go to the activity log to find out what it is I actually liked, you know, and then I remove it. Now, some of you are laughing because this has happened to you. That's right. <laughs> but I, I tell you what, if it happens, it's going to bother you if you accidentally do something like that. It will bother you. And it bothers me. If it doesn't bother you, it should. Um, <laughs> You, you just don't want to associate with something that you're not fully aware of, that you have full knowledge of. I don't want to associate with anyone or any idea that I'm not fully on board with. And there's a lot of things I'm fully on board with that I still won't associate with. I don't want to have to take a position 
that is going to drive other people away because of the position I took. Because if it's an uh, inconsequential position, why take it? You know, if it doesn't matter, why take it? And a, a lot of people do that. They take a stand and a position on something because they're really hard strong about something. Now, I mention things, even here, if, if someone actually watches uh, one of the videos or, or listens to an audio online and they hear me talk about global warming, they would think automatically that, you know, I just don't believe in global warming. Um, and I live in Arizona, you know, so I believe in global warming because it happens every summer here. But you know what? I'm not one of those people that um, believes everything that scientists tell me. So it doesn't have anything to do with global warming. It has to do with my confidence in science and mankind and what men say. I believe that there's always something behind what they're telling us. There, there's always an agenda. I mean, if the scientists actually that were paid to study global warming came out and said, well, there is none, what are they going to do next week? Where are they going to get their paycheck from? So if they're paid to study global warming, well, they better come up with global warming and they better find a way to continue getting paid to continue that study of global warming. I'm not saying anyone would do that. But... What I do know is that we with our tongues can take positions on things, whether it's on the internet or whether it's uh, being vocal about something with other people that maybe offend people. It may you know, cause people to uh, be turned off by what we have to say. And I don't ever want to bring a position about in such a way that will cause someone not to hear the gospel. Amen. Because that's the most important decision anyone is going to make in their life. Whether or not they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and whether they believe that the Bible is the word of God, that's the most important thing. And if there's anything else that's important out there, I don't need to take a stand on it if it's not going to support or help in the message that I deliver about the Bible and about Jesus Christ. And I hope the same for you. Consider that when you're posting something on the internet. Man, there are so many times where I've written a whole thing that I'm going to post out there. Man, I am just going to, because I had, you know, someone come up with the stupidest thing in the world, and I'm going to blast it. I'm going to go, and I actually write the article, and then I delete it. Because I realize that in the big scheme of things, that's not going to change anyone's heart towards the Lord. That may change their heart towards me, and they may not receive anything else I have to tell them. So I would rather keep the line of communication open between people so that when I share with them the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, they're willing to hear. So even though James is speaking of the tongue, he had no idea that social media was going to be coming around, but um, it fits into our discussion here today. So today's message is titled, Correcting Your Speech Impediment. 
we continue our study through James with chapter 3 and verse 1, where he writes, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Pastors and teachers will receive a stricter judgment. And this isn't implying that pastors and teachers are going to be judged unjustly. God can't do that. Jesus would never judge unjustly, but with a harsher judgment. Well, we're going to have to figure out what that means. You see, Jesus is a good and gracious, loving judge, but he's also just. He has to continue being just. Teachers will be more uh, judged more strictly because they accept a role of responsibility. And when you accept that role of responsibility, you have to expect greater observation by others, a greater examination, and greater judgment. They're going to be held accountable for what they taught and the impact that they had on people's lives by what they taught. I feel bad for many pastors that are out there that are teaching false teaching, false doctrine, or they're just avoiding doctrine altogether because they don't want to offend anyone. I'm not here to offend anyone. I'm here to teach the Word of God and let the Word of God speak to you. You take it for what it's worth. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I don't convict. The Word of God and the Holy Spirit does that. I'm just the messenger to deliver the message and I let him do all the work. So I don't think James was saying this message about teachers to dissuade people from coming, becoming teachers. I don't think that's what he was really trying to do, although I've heard it presented that way. I believe that if you're called to become a pastor, that verse is not going to stop you from becoming a pastor. Because the calling is upon your heart. God puts a calling and a draw to make you take, assume that responsibility. Take that role on. Okay? And, and yes, we have free will. I could say no. I did say no. When originally he called me and I said, well, you know, some people say probably not a good idea and some people say this and some people say that. And I was kind of negligent for a few years. And then God has a way of showing me, no, this is what I want you to do. And eventually, I followed his plan. But I was dragging my feet because, of course, I've lived for over 50 years, so I know exactly what needs to be done and how to do it, right? I mean, we're all, you know, pretty smart and uh, we're educated to the point where um, we know what's best for us. Yeah, that's what I thought. For those that are not called, this is going to give them pause. For those that are not called into the ministry, into teach, or whatever their role is to be, if they're not called, this is going to give them pause. Unless, of course, they don't care anyway, and they're just doing it for the notoriety, for the money, whatever the case may be. All of the vast money that are in churches out there. Um, you know, 
it's funny what people think about the pastorate, about being in the ministry. And um, even though I knew, because I worked so closely with pastors for years, I never expected what it would actually be like to become a pastor and to lead a flock. It's completely different than anything I thought, even though I was close with so many pastors, watched them, you know, raise up from small flocks to big flocks and everything else. Um, but I never knew what was going to really happen until I actually became a pastor. So the calling of the pastor is to teach and do the will of God until Jesus returns. That's what the calling of a pastor is. Doing the will of God, teaching the will of God to the flock. He should be a good example as well as a loving shepherd to all those that are called to be in the flock. And he's going to be judged with a harsher judgment if he doesn't practice what he preaches. If a pastor just preaches and then goes about and does what he wants to do, contradicting the very thing that he preaches, he's going to be judged with a harsher judgment. I believe that's where James' focus is here on those that are taking advantage of the position they were put in. There are many in those days that were looking to leader church for the sake of being popular or the power involved in that, but being a pastor is not as glamorous as many people would think it is. It's not a glamorous position. I knew that going in it wasn't going to be easy. I knew there were going to be many challenges, but the first challenge is that attack of the enemy. Always. Because if the enemy can get me to fall, then he can get you to fall. You see, if a pastor falls, the flock kind of flails with him. And it has a ripple effect. And so that's why he wants to take out pastors. And he puts a lot of effort into that. I covet your prayers. Because that's what keeps me strong. That's what keeps me going, is the prayers of the saint and the Holy Spirit working through my life in ways that I just don't understand, but he reveals to me the things that he's doing, and then I continue doing what he wants me to do. But it's your prayers. There are things that I know that are taking place around me that I am unaware of because of your prayers. Because when you pray for me, the enemy doesn't get the stronghold that he wants to have in my life. So I covet your prayers and I ask for your prayers. James addresses the tongue again in verse 2 where he says, For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that... They may obey us, and we turn their whole body. So we stumble in many things, and this is referring to everyone, including pastors, stumbling in many things. And if anyone does not stumble, he's a perfect man. There was only one perfect man who did not stumble, and that's Jesus Christ. Stumbling in word is the most obvious way 
And the easiest way for us to stumble is in word, is in through our speech. You know, if we can't bridle the tongue, then we're going to have a lot of problems with the other areas of our life also. But maybe some of the other areas are easier to bridle, but the tongue is just not. Now here, um, this is um, the, the bridle that goes around a horse that actually has a bit also in their mouth. It's not um, what's known as like a hackamore that doesn't have a bit. It just has the straps that go around that you can steer. This actually has a bit, so it's controlling the horse and all the movements of the horse. And, and so we have to consider, do we have that kind of control over our tongue? Do we, are we able to control our tongue in such a way that we're not steering in the wrong direction? That we're not steering others in the wrong direction by what we say? Peter was like that. Man, Peter, foot and mouth Peter. And, and I can relate to Peter because, you know, as a, a new Christian, I was always putting my foot in my mouth. I just always thought I had the right answer, you know, to give to someone. And then I would just blurt something out. And, you know, and not, not that anyone called me Peter, but I can hear, you know, the Holy Spirit saying, hey, Peter, get behind me. You know, because I knew that what I was saying was out of my heart, not out of the heart of God. And uh, so Peter made mistakes also, but he was also restored. So there is always restoration for us. There isn't anything that we're going to do that is not going to allow us to be restored. When people say, well, what if I commit the unpardonable sin? First of all, if you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I don't believe you can, you know, do the unpardonable sin. But those that have the unpardonable sin, I believe, is not receiving Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So if you even question whether or not you've committed the unpardonable sin, then you have the right heart because you're sensitive to the fact that you don't want to. That's what it comes down to. I don't want to sin. I don't want to be an enemy of God. And so I believe that if you're sensitive to that and you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can't commit the unpardonable sin. That's not something that's in you because the Holy Spirit is in you. So James uses this example of uh, the bridle, uh, directing a horse, and it helps the rider direct the horse to whether or not to stop or go or turn or whatever it is. Uh, but do we have control of our tongue that way in our own lives? Do we consider what we're going to say before we say it? That's challenging. Quite often, we have prepared statements for when someone makes a comment and we have the prepared statement. It was prepared in our mind or prepared days before because we watched something on TV and we took a position on it. 
and we prepared what our response would be when the time came that we had an opportunity to voice our opinion. Better not to. Better to keep our mouths shut. James didn't consider himself perfect. That's why he said, for we all stumble. He included himself in that. We all stumble. All of us stumble in our speech. Next, James goes nautical on us. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they're turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. So ships turn using a rudder, and you have an aircraft carrier, they still have rudders. They're just very small compared to the size of the ship, and it just turns, and the ship uh, turns according to wherever the rudder was turned. And the pilot is the one that's really directing the ship. The, the guy that's navigating the ship, directing the ship, he's called a pilot. And he's there in the wheelhouse, and he's giving instructions to the helmsman. And the helmsman is the guy there controlling the rudder. I, I did this because on the ship I was on, it was a little frigate, and they have a little tiny wheel this big. On the bigger ships, they have a big wheel. It doesn't matter what size the wheel is. It's, it's all done through electronics. So it's not like the big wheel is connected, you know, by wires back there. It's all done through electronics nowadays. But the pilot directs the helmsman, you know, 30 degrees right rudder. And the helmsman responds and knows what to do, you know, steady as she goes. That means keep your rudder moving to keep the ship going in the right direction. We're on this course, so if we start to go off course, adjust the rudder to make sure that we stay on that course. And these are all commands that are given by the pilot to the helmsman. And the, hel the pilot is the one responsible, though, for everything taking place. It's not the helmsman that's responsible. It's the pilot. And he has a bunch of guys that are watching on a track to make sure that the ship is where it's supposed to be. Usually, uh, a Navy ship will take a pilot on board as you enter into a harbor. And as you're going through the harbor, the pilot knows all of the dangers in the harbor. He knows where the, the ground is low. He knows when there are obstructions underneath the water. And so you bring the pilot on board because he has a, a knowledge uh, of what's under there. And he knows where to maneuver the ship to keep it out of danger. We need to be like pilots, knowing where to maneuver our mouths to keep us out of danger. The problem is we don't do that, and we act instinctively. It's kind of like the big ship that's traveling through the harbor. If a little boat comes out from the side and runs in front of the big ship, the big ship cannot turn. They can't just say, oh, I'm going to get out of the way of that little... They can't do it. Because if they do it, they put the ship in danger and they put anyone else in danger that's around them. It has to be up to that little boat to move out of the way and to make sure it doesn't get crushed by the big ship. That's what the pilot's job is, to make sure that he keeps... The only thing the pilot can do is say, stop the ship. You know, all stop 
and maybe you'll be able to get the ship. But a pilot has to know also where they're going, and he has to make turns way ahead of time. He doesn't say, make a left now. You know, this isn't, you know, Uber. Uh, you know, this is moving a big ship, and he has to prepare for it way in advance. So when a ship is going to make a turn and go down a different direction, he has to start preparing for that way back here. Are you preparing your mouths now for what you're going to say later? That's really what it comes down to. It comes down to preparing ourselves to speak at the right time, having the right words to speak. Quite often, we're confronted with speech that is offensive, that offends us. Now, I find that I am not offended easily by speech so much because I have offended so many in the past that I've actually learned from that and said, okay, let me give them the benefit of the doubt, except that one guy. Um, I'm going to give everyone else the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, but really that's what we need to do is always know what our response is going to be to uh, confrontation when that time comes. That's what he's talking about here. So... In verse 5, he says, Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. James compares the tongue to a fire, and it doesn't take much fire to set a whole forest ablaze. Look at these forest fires that we have right now going on in California and other places, and it, it, it didn't start as a blaze. It started as a small fire, and then it continued to spread. And the more wind, the faster it spreads. Well, it doesn't take much for a tongue to start a fire of dissension, within the church. See, there are many tongues that come into the church and it's a little gospel, a go, yeah, yeah, a, a little goss, gossip here. See, I can't even say the word gossip because that's not in my vocabulary. Even a little gossip here, a, a little gossip there, and, and a little talking about this and a talking about that. And you end up with division within the church. You end up with church splits. Everybody has their idea of what God wants to do. And then you end up with church splitting because there are certain people that say, oh no, that's not what God wants to do. God wants to do this. And then the other people are like, hey, let's just stick with this. And the next thing you know, you have a split. If you, you guys don't like the way I teach, if anyone here ever has a problem with, you know, what I'm teaching, don't worry about telling anyone else. If you have to convince someone else that what I'm teaching is wrong, maybe you're wrong. Here's the thing. I'm going to teach the Word of God because that's what He told me to teach. I'm going to stick to the truth, and I won't vary from that. But I'm not 
stubborn to the point that if someone comes to me and says, hey, what you said doesn't line up with the word of God, I'm completely open to hearing that and to making sure that I am in line with the word of God. All of us need to be in line with the word of God. All of us do. Because that's the only way that we're going to grow. That's the only way that we're going to become perfect. Complete is what that word actually means. That's the only way that we're going to get to the point. See, Jesus is completing the work in us. And eventually it will be done when he comes to take us home. But until that day, we're working towards that. But the only way we can work towards that is if we stick to his word. And that's what we need to be doing, sticking to the word of God. One rumor can cause people to fall and can cause bitterness in the heart. And when you have, once you have bitterness that gets rooted into someone's life, it can cause division, it can cause dissension, and it can cause problems in the church. So when you have someone come and tell you something that is divisive, don't entertain it. Tell them, hey, go talk to the pastor. You know, if you're concerned about that, if that's something, I'll go with you. Let's go and talk to the pastor and find out what the pastor has to say about that because I will take a position there and it's always going to be a position that matches up with the word of God. Amen? Amen. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Even in this day, James is talking about um, the animals that have been tamed, which is kind of interesting. So uh, I did a little research. The first public zoo was 1500 BC in Egypt, and they had tamed the animals there. Um, SeaWorld didn't come around until much later, uh, so, uh, you know, and it, and it mentions the sea animals, but I'm sure that has to do with, like, catching animals and uh, catching fish and stuff like that and, and taming them that way. But, um, but we see that we have been able to tame the animals, but we can't tame the tongue. That's his point. Wild animals we can tame, but we can't tame our own tongues. You know, it, it, it's much easier for you to tame your own tongue than it is to tame someone else's tongue. Have you ever tried to tame someone else's tongue? Oh, yeah, you have. I know. You know, and it doesn't work. You know, and I've tried. I've, we've raised kids. And you can't tame the tongue because everybody wants to have a voice. Everybody feels that their voice is important and they want to say what they want to say regardless if it makes sense. <laughs> they just want to say it. And we don't have to um, adopt whatever they say as being the truth, but we really need to be concerned about our own voice, our own tongue, because um, we can't tame our own tongue. There's only one way to tame the tongue, and that's through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's how we tame a tongue. 
there have been things that have come out of my mouth that when I heard them, I said, who said that? And then I, re- I hold it, that was me. I said that. And I recognize the fact that I'm still in the flesh. I, I, I still say things that, you know, I think are valid. And then when I hear them, they don't even sound valid. Isn't that funny? How we can be critical of the things that even we say ourselves. I try not to watch these videos because I I may actually disagree with what I have to say, you know, because of the way I present it. A lot of times I have it here in my head. It just doesn't come out right when when I say it with my mouth. Does that ever happen to you? I know it does. It's, it's a battle, and that's what we're being called to fight that battle. We can hurt people with the things we say, even if we don't mean to hurt them. We can say things to crush someone, even if we don't mean it, even if we think we're blessing them or giving them good advice. We can crush them. I like to think that I have a lot of superfluous, useless information inside my head from all of my experiences, and whenever I have an opportunity to impart them, I do. And quite often, the people that I'm imparting them to are like, do you think I cared about that? Do you think that was important to me? And I could tell by the look on their face. And I could say, you know, it sounded good when I started thinking about it, but actually when I verbalized it, it didn't sound as good. So then I just rewrap it and present it in a different way and see if that helps. It doesn't, generally. James tells us the tongue is an unruly evil. So how do we fight evil? We fight evil with the Holy Spirit. We fight evil with the power of God. That's the only way we can fight evil. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. And and it's a spiritual battle that we're in. So we fight this battle through the Holy Spirit, not through flesh and blood when we ask the Holy Spirit to come into our lives, but we still control our own tongue, he's restricted in what he's able to do. You see, the Holy Spirit isn't going to do anything that we stop him from doing. So if we ask, but then we take control again, then he's not going to smack us upside the head. My wife may, (laughs) but the Holy Spirit won't. The Holy Spirit will say, okay, if you want control of that, you can have control, but I have to suffer the consequences of my own actions at that point. So do you. And that's not a good place for us to go. So the tongue is controlled by the Holy Spirit. The first challenge is, wrong page. James now reveals the hypocrisy of our tongues in verse 9, where he says, with it we bless our God and Father And with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth, proceeding blessings and cursing, my brethren, these things ought not be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? 
Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. And this is the nature of our communication today. Blessings and cursings coming from the same person's mouth. They praise God and, and they bless his creation and praise his creation. But then they're critical to the very same brother and sister in Christ who is a child of God. And then we're cursing these things shouldn't be so. There's only one solution. That's giving God control. Can fresh water be made bitter? Yes, it can. It was a rhetorical question that James was saying, but you see, we can't make the bitter water fresh, but the Holy Spirit can. In 2 Kings 2.19, Elisha was there at Jericho, and the men of the city said to Elisha, please notice the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground barren. And he said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. And so they brought it to him. And then he went out to the source of the water and cast in the salt there and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From it there shall be no more death or barrenness. And so the water remains healed to this day according to the word of Elijah, which he spoke. Elisha, which he spoke. You see, we should ask God to change our hearts, our words, our voice, our tongue. He can change it. He has the ability to, if we let him. And the blessing to us is that if we do that, we're going to bless others with what we have to say. We're going to be an instrument used by God to minister to others, and maybe we're going to start hearing others bless us with the words that they have to say. Quite often, we bring things upon ourselves because of the way we present ourselves. God will also allow us to be in control if we want to be, but we really don't want to be. So as we close, let's consider what we're going to say to each other, especially to our church family. We should be encouraging with our words, not cutting people down to make ourselves look better. We need to be using encouraging words. Paul tells us the best way to go about correcting your speech impediment in Ephesians 4.29, where he says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Imparting grace is what Jesus is all about. He imparts grace on each one of our lives. And so we should go about doing the same thing, imparting that same grace. We can give away all of our grace because he's not going to let us go graceless. He's going to give us an abundance more. And the more we give away, the more he's going to give to us. So that way we do the will of God. At the same time, we'll be taming our tongue as we stay focused on what he wants to do in our lives. Amen?